0: Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, game. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. But the problem is, if people, I, I did, a, I think I told you this. I did a podcast with Cheryl Reeve a few months ago. How to Live a Cool Life. I remember. And Cheryl would get so comfortable, and it's great because hey, it's an hour long conversation. You want her to be comfortable. We're sitting in her office, this luxurious little meeting area, yeah. And she starts telling these stories, and all of a sudden, the microphone starts to Start drift, serious. and it's like there's, we're just having a conversation, that, which is as an interview, that's exactly what you want. But then, I, so now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I gotta, I'm, I want to listen to her, but I gotta pod the levels up and up and up and up and up, and then I have to tell her put the microphone back in front of your face without saying it. So, anyways. how cool
1: would it be to have a podcast which requires nothing but hosting from you. Someone else runs the board, runs the levels, edits, writes the copy, posts, books, guests. That'd be living the life, man.
0: But then at some point, robot hosts will come in like robot umpires and replace you. And That's right. You just won't even be on the show anymore.
1: But Exactly, but it's a gravy train until then. And I've always said my top philosophy of management is to become superfluous as quickly as possible. <laughs> Make sure this ship runs on its own without your guidance, and then you've won.
0: Now, you said management, right? Correct. I think you mean ownership. No, because if, if it's management and someone discovers that you're actually not doing anything Correct. to earn the money that you're making as a manager, then they can fire you. That's that- my
1: second principle of management <laughs> is to once you've built that structure in which you're not really needed or relevant – try and spend all of your time and energy convincing other people that, in fact, you are still necessary to the cause. You're still
0: a cog in the machine. Is this all one long analogy to describe Michael Tonkin in the Twins' bullpen right now? Listen, it may look like I don't belong here, but I'm really the one who put this whole bullpen together. Everyone thinks it's because I'm out out of options, which is why I'm still in this bullpen. Really, I am the manager slash owner that puts this whole bullpen together
1: if I could come clean for a second. No, it was not. Uh, no, I... That's... And honestly, and let's start off with uh, Nelasco Duffy in a second here, but the first one that I want to talk about after the Twins made four roster cuts to get down to 25 this afternoon, this morning, whatever. That's one that really surprised me. I thought he was going to have to earn a spot on the team, and it turns out he didn't. Michael Tonkin didn't earn a spot on the team. He was given it ahead of, I would argue, guys who were more qualified for that roster spot. Now, is it a big deal, ultimately, that the 25th man on your roster is not very um, effective? Probably not, but it's just I think that it's a flawed way to make decisions. I think that they could have built a better bullpen.
0: And we, the royal we, we love whether it's with football and 53-man rosters or whether it's with baseball and the the end of spring training – we love to analyze the end of training camp the, as if it's final, as if you can't make any other changes. Yeah, I know you're all outraged over the 53rd guy on the on the training camp roster, and then a half hour later, someone goes through waivers mm-hmm. or there's there's two other transactions. So just because these are the seven relievers, or just because these are the four bench players, doesn't mean that in two weeks Nicholas Birdie can't be up or Jose Barrios or somebody. But I will say this about the bullpen, I. I'm in wait-and-see mode. I'll give him a chance. I'll give Fernando Abad a chance. He was great a couple years ago as a lefty specialist in Oakland. He was terrible last year. But in general, my biggest gripe with the Twins last year and this winter was that they aren't taking themselves seriously enough as playoff contenders when you look at their bullpen. And once again, we sit here, we go through six weeks of spring training, and you look on paper, and once you get past Glenn Perkins and Kevin Jepsen, Trevor May, I'm not even going to put Casey Fiend in that group because his his swing and miss rate, strikeout rate, has been cut in half over the past two years. You get to guys like Tonkin and Presley who don't have Major League track records of success. You get to Fernando Abad who wasn't offered a Major League contract by anybody going into spring training. Mm -hmm. Is this a bullpen on paper that fits with a team that expects to win 90-plus games and make the playoffs, and make a deep run? And to me, the answer is clearly not. You're rolling the dice on at least three or four of these guys. The Twins would take issue with all this. They would say, well, no, we looked, we saw, we watched spring training, we saw this, we saw that. I would just line this bullpen up with the Yankees, with the Royals, with other bullpens around baseball, and say these are teams that take themselves seriously as 90-win teams. With the Twins, their bullpen on paper screams, let's spend the first month or two figuring out who our bullpen guys are. Yeah. How many games could you lose in that process, though? That's the question.
1: Yeah, I think not to skew this conversation too heavily toward the bullpen, because we have spent a lot of time this winter talking about it, mostly because it was the one thing that was unfinished. Yeah, What's more important to a team, the starting rotation or the bullpen, easily the starting rotation? What's more important, the lineup or the bullpen, easily the lineup? And so... Yeah, I mean, you can line it up with the Yankees, with the Red Sox, with the Orioles, with the Royals, and the bullpen doesn't stack up. The Twins' bullpen's not nearly as good as those. But for that shortcoming, if you're if you're going to pick a place to have a shortcoming, I would argue the final two or three spots in the bullpen would be it. Counterpoint to the counterpoint is that you don't have to pick an area of weakness. Like, you have permission to build the best 25-man roster you can. In my opinion, the Twins did not do that this year. Not this spring, anyways. Um, That that does sort of dovetail into the conversation about Ricky Nolasco, and let's not get too granular with it in Nolasco v. Tyler Duffy, because in my mind it's Nolasco v. Tyler Duffy v. Trevor May v. J.O. Like The Twins could have built a starting rotation, I believe, that's more competitive than this current one. With that being said, I don't really take a big issue with any of the moves
0: Individually, that they chose to
1: make their their starting rotation. Well, the
0: question I saw pop up, and it's it's a valid one to ask. Mm-hmm. Now that you know how much of a plotting one on one matchup it was at the end with Ricky Nolasco and Tyler Duffy, both just getting shelled. in, in Ricky Nolasco's case, he was facing a ballers a couple mm-hmm. days ago, or mm-hmm. I guess it would have been yesterday if Monday. you're listening on on the Tuesday we're recording this. He went down the street and faced A-ballers and had trouble getting out of innings. And he's the one that was left standing because Tyler Duffy, who was told at the beginning of spring training and the media was told this, all you have to do is not get hit by a bus or have a a 7.5 earned run average in spring training and the job is yours. Hey, you didn't get hit by a bus. But part B was don't (laughs) have a a 7.5 earned run average. Um, The question I've heard, and I think it's logical to ask this, is, well, should the Twins have waited longer on Trevor May? Should, Should Trevor May have won that fifth starter job? I think the bullpen needs Trevor May more than the starting rotation right now. And you and I might disagree on that, but
1: No, I think I, we're we're on the same page. I
0: don't think everyone has kind of given up on Ricky Nolasco. I'm by no means crowning Ricky Nolasco as a viable starter for 30 starts, but if put it this way, if Mike Pelfrey could pitch a sub 3 earned run average for 3 months at the beginning of last year, I would argue Ricky Nolasco has a better track record in his career than Mike Pelfrey. So It can be done. A pitcher can get hot. Could he get hot and you trade him in a couple months? That would be the best-case scenario at this point. But no matter what, I think Trevor May has to be in your bullpen until you figure out who some of those other guys are.
1: I think long-term May is a starter, but I don't disagree with the fact that the bullpen needs a strikeout right-hander. May might be there. If Glenn Perkins is healthy, Trevor May might be their second-best reliever. I know everyone, when they're listing the bullpen, mentions Kevin Jepsen's name first, and part of that is because he was great down the stretch. But you look at Jepsen's career track record. If he reverts to those norms, compared with Trevor May, and granted, I'm being a little biased in saying that Jepsen will be who he is, and May could take a step forward. I, I get that I'm being biased by saying that. But if May develops into the kind of pitcher that I think he is or will become, he's a better eighth inning guy than Kevin Jepsen. And now you can play matchups. You can play. Um, you can go with whoever you need in the series. Hey, okay, Jepsen had the eighth yesterday. Probably not going to pitch the 8th. Today we'll go with Trevor May. I don't think that's a big deal for the Twins. Um, On Nalasco, people forget this because his 2016 season, if his his 2014 season wasn't dog crap, I think we'd look at 2015 differently because it would be like, oh, man, you know, he had a good May, and then boom, it was all done for. and Boy, tough luck, poor guy. But because he was so bad in 2014, Twins fans, and rightfully so, are infuriated with the guy, don't like him as a person, and allow that to seep into their sort of their analysis of Nolasco as a pitcher. His 2015 season is not as bad as you remember. In fact, in the five thoughts column that I posted on the roster moves, uh, you can check that out at 1500ESPN.com. Wow. Yeah, that's right.
0: Cheap plugs. Keep them coming.
1: Actually, check it twice. Actually, all about page views. If you By can the just way, go and you hit, can
0: check out more opinions on this on my Twitter account. Right. Too, at, it's at <laughs> Phil Mackey. That's P H I L. A lot of hot sports takes on that account. The
1: five starts leading up to the ankle injury that basically derailed Nolasco's season. Here are the numbers. You're just. Take these for what they're worth. I'm not saying he's a great pitcher. I'm just saying he's not as worthless as. Are you about to uh, cite five Twins and one or whatever he was?
0: No, five and zero. Oh. Five and zero. Oh? <laughs> oh wow! I snuck a loss in there in five starts. <laughs> he did, he, anyway, he he went undefeated last year in May. He, he was undefeated oh, in May because okay. his first
1: start was terrible. Okay, uh, in April whatever it was, but uh, five starts leading into that injury that now defines his 2015 season. The twins were five and zero. Nolasco pitched twenty eight and two thirds innings, so not quite six innings to start, but he had a three point seven seven earned run average, and his strikeout to walk ratio: twenty five strikeouts, six walks. So, like I said, I'm not saying he's terrific. I'm not saying he's the answer. I'm not even saying he'll ever start in the postseason if the Twins make it that far. What I am saying is that to treat him like he should be cut and that he's worthless and that the Twins would be better off lighting that bag of $25 million on fire is a ridiculous opinion.
0: Along with the $23 million bags that you could apply to Joe Mauer's. Yeah, but you and need those bags play to play the... first base. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite part about the Duffy and Alaska battle this week, though, especially Monday, well, actually this happened on Monday, Duffy, Bradenton, noon, so you had him going, but an hour earlier you had Ricky and Alaska down the street, one of the chain-link fence fields outside Hammond Stadium. And guess who shows up two innings in to stand right behind home plate? Jose Barrios. Just making sure that Ricky Nolasco knows, even if you win this spot, it's mine in three weeks when the service <laughs> time thing straightened itself out. Just, yeah. just like a wrestling match. That's right. I'm going to come to ringside, put the headset on, and commentate this. Just so you know that I'm still vying for your Intercontinental Championship. I
1: see you and Judd starting your uh, Monday through Friday 9 to 1 radio show. Uh, you're in the... In the room, what time would you guys say you show up uh, mentally or physically? Well, so noon for I'm both. In playing, I'm in there playing Tecmo Super Bowl around what? seven a.m. <laughs> okay, all right, that, and that's that was my question: <laughs> is when do you physically go into the room that you'll be broadcasting your show? Is it, uh, is two, it h- about two hours? Before, seven a.m. It would be, and there's that big window. There's a window that goes into producer Dave Harrigan's room, and at the fifteen hundred ESPN studio, there's also a big plexiglass window that leads out into the hallway. You, people can see business people walking by or whatever that work at the radio station, can look in. It is bulletproof. If you, it yeah. <laughs> if you have the curtains drawn, people can watch you while you work. It's like it's like a window into your cubicle.
0: Yeah, it's a fishbowl.
1: Burrell showing up to watch Nolasco pitch in that basically winner-take-all <laughs> pitching matchup on Monday is like if Andrew Kramer and I, uh, Andrew Kramer of Purple Podcast fame, we show up at the radio station, we don't come in the studio because, like,
0: that's your space. I mean, you you are working there; you
1: are radio professionals, and
0: you are not in uniform because that would be weird.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I I I don't know. Like, we neither of us take ourselves seriously enough to have a uniform but we're standing outside that plexiglass window arms crossed sipping a big gulp watching you guys do sports talk radio <laughs>
0: oh it's, it's clearly a big gulp well there's
1: the super america right across the street i figure we swing in there on our way to uh scouting making hey, hey we're not here to threaten you i mean we, hey we're not here to take your guys job we're just monitoring I mean, might as well watch take notes on the big boys uh, see what happens, and then watch Judd look over his right shoulder, sweat gathering on his brow as he prepares this next hot take, making sure it's good enough to distance himself from a young Andrew. Actually, Kramer. this
0: is a good segue. I'm glad you brought up my co-host on the radio's hot take because we argued about this on Monday's radio show. The whole Miguel Sano right field conversation has officially jumped the shark in my mind. It's become, and it's been, it's been an interesting talker all off season. I've never fully agreed with the premise of Miguel Sano in right field. He's your young stud franchise third baseman. I think first base is also a more logical position at some point than right field. But you've already, I get it. You've got veterans at those positions. I don't know. It's weird because I've been criticizing the move, but I don't know short of trading somebody like Trevor Plouffe what the answer is. You already have Byung Ho Park as your DH. You made that decision early in the offseason. But people have been, like, my timeline last night for 15 hours i woke up in the morning and the debate was still raging on judd wants mauer in right field other people want trevor Plouffe in right field because he's played corner outfield before before they figured out he was a third baseman like you can't you can't miguel so he's going to get injured he's going to you're going to piss off your franchise player two things we're going to put this conversation to bed in my mind i mean the, the argument is over with these two things number one it's very simple if you want all those bats in the lineup, you want Mauer in the lineup, you want Plouffe, you want Benjoe Park, you want Sano, someone's going to have to pretend that they're a right fielder. Someone's going to have to stand out there like a cinder block with a glove attached to it. At least buy yes. an
1: outfield glove.
0: Somebody whether it's you can if you want to argue Mauer should go out Plouffe, none of them will be good right fielders. So you're you're consciously sacrificing a defensive position for the sake of loading up your lineup and you're hoping that you can outscore the deficiency in right field. Mm-hmm. So that's that's part one. The other part to it, which is this Minnesota sports fan insecurity, and I've, I've been here for 30 years. I've lived it. I've, I've been guilty of it at times myself. You don't want to make him mad because he might leave like David Ortiz. My good friend Mike Grimm, friend of the radio station, go for football, basketball, play-by-play guy, previously worked at KMOX calling pre- and post-game St. Louis Cardinals, early 2000s. And he points this out, I knew that Albert Pujols played a couple different positions, but in his rookie season, age 21, Albert Pujols played equal amounts of games, 40 or 50 games, left field, right field, first base, third base. He won the rookie of the year in the National League. He didn't miss a beat. He didn't get mad at the organization. He was there for 12 years before he finally went and signed in free agency his second time around Mm -hmm. with a contract. It didn't fray the relationship. It was just... Hey, for now, there's a couple veterans over here. I think Scott Rowland was playing third base. Uh, they had somebody at first base that they liked as a veteran. So, you as the young guy, even though you might be the best player, you're going to go play somewhere else for now, and then we'll move you out of the corner outfield spots. By the way, Pujols, 6'3, 240, 250 pounds. Not quite as big as Sano, but a pretty big guy. So, I'm just, I've gone from, I don't really get this. I don't know what the twins are doing to, okay, whatever. Like, it's, they're going to put, A non-rangy right fielder out there. It's either going to be Sano or Plouffe. You might as well only have one guy changing positions than everybody changing positions. I'm so sick of arguing over the right field thing. Go out, hit bombs, stay healthy, and see if you can outscore the deficiency in the field. This is an
1: oversimplification, but I want to ask you a question. I'm curious. I'm surprised. There are a lot of things that we talk about on the podcast that I sort of know how you're going to think about it. We've talked about baseball enough in the past. We you know, when we used to do the podcast at your place, we'd watch Sunday night baseball like pretty much every week during the regular season. So, like, I I think that I get how you view baseball. Or like, I see the prism that you see it through, we're like if, a married baseball couple. Yeah, exactly. Even if you don't, we're always finishing each other's sandwiches. Even if you don't um, see, it, like, if we don't see it the same way, I think I at least have this like sort of baseball empathy that I see how you are going to see it. But I genuinely don't know the answer to this question. In the NBA, I view, people say there's five players on a team. I almost view it like there are ten positions to fill on a team. You have to fill two wing positions on offense, and you have to stop two wing scores on defense. You have to have a center or front court. I don't know it's necessary you have a center, but whatever. Front court players and a point guard. And you also have to stop the opposing point guard front court players. Wings. Sure. Do you view it the same way in baseball that there are, what would the math be, 18 positions? Uh, 17 positions in the American League, I guess. No. 18 positions because you got the DH that bats and— Wait, where are you getting the number 18 from? So I'm saying you've got nine positions in the batting order. So that's nine positions you have to fill. Mm-hmm. Offensively, you have to fill the first spot and first base. You have to fill the second spot and second base, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then defensively, you have to do the same thing. So now I'm double, I'm second-guessing myself. I think it is 17 positions because you don't need to I'll stick field, with you on this one. You don't need to field the spot in DH. Do I you think view, I know where you're going here. So. Do you view baseball through the prism of there are 17 spots that need to be filled up? And in some cases, most cases actually, most teams are only going to have like 14 or 15 of those spots filled.
0: Um, I I see where you're going. It's a roundabout way. I I didn't really get the 17 or 18 thing at first, but the way I look at it, I'll I'll take your basketball analogy a step further. The Golden State Warriors, before they became championship-level good, were just offensively good. And so they led the league with 108 points per game or whatever it was, but they also allowed 105 points per game. So every game they played in was higher scoring. They decided – you know what, we probably could swap out one of these sharpshooting three-pointers for a defensive specialist, and we would then not allow 106 points per game anymore. Maybe we're then only allowing 100 points per game. But then they wouldn't score as many. So Miguel, think of Miguel Sano as the power forward, if he's playing right field anyways, who's going to go for 25 and 14 with three assists almost every single night. Will be an offensive juggernaut. But he's going to ole the post-defense once in a while and probably isn't going to flash much on pick and roll. Mm-hmm. You're just like you're hoping that he's going to be out there and not foul out so that he can score 25-14 and, and dish out three assists and maybe a block if he's lucky.
1: Are you saying that Miguel Sano is Kevin Love?
0: Wow. I think I may have just done that. Yeah.
1: Similar. I mean, and that's, that's the way I view
0: baseball, which is why I as ask As a right you, fielder. As a right fielder. Sure, yeah. If he was a third that's baseman. Fine. Or a, I, a DH. I, As a DH, you wouldn't have to worry. If Kevin Love only played (laughs) offense, nobody would find holes in his game. Hey, don't cross the (laughs) half-court
1: line. We just need you to get offensive rebounds and shoot threes. So, to me, I view most teams as incomplete. But what your objective is is to try to build that to as close to complete as possible. I'm going to take Andrelton Simmons on my team no matter what he hits because I filled one of those positions as best as I possibly can. That position – the defensive
0: aspect of shortstop. You also helped fill the third base defensive position with Angelton Simmons. Right. Could, he's going to field ground balls in different area codes. Yeah, so, if, yeah. If I am, you know,
1: building a defensive shortstop from the ground up, it's Simmons. And
0: now the Angels
1: are, they, they swung a trade for him this winter. And basically, you know, maybe his offensive game comes around a little bit more. Who knows? He's yeah. a young player. But if it doesn't, fine you're getting like 1.5 value of the defensive portion of shortstop so you can afford to punt a little bit on the number nine hitter in your order and especially i think in american league teams this makes more sense than with national league teams where you also have to fill uh defensively cover yourself uh i think Sano in right field will be a net positive for the twins i do i think he's going to hit enough that it All right, we question the defense. There will be some weird routes. He's not always going to throw to the right base. Maybe he gets hurt. Fine. Players get hurt all the time. I don't think the reason he gets hurt will be because the Twins moved him to the outfield. Um, He
0: also wouldn't be the first guy in baseball history to mash at the plate and be a headache in the outfield. Right. Or a headache at a position somewhere. I I totally agree. So trust me, the criticisms
1: are fair. I understand it. I've been on the record as saying – don't understand what the Twins are doing here. I think they're making a mistake. But with that being said, like how, how many times do you need to say that? Yeah. Like, do, you, do we need
0: to do a podcast every week saying like this will not work? I guarantee yeah. it because you know, it might. You know, I'll. I think we get so narrow focused on in a vacuum. Miguel Sano in right field. No, he will not be a great defensive right fielder. But what about the Twins outfield as a three man unit compared to other Twins outfields in years past? Mm-hmm. In two thousand ten. They had the best record in the American League, if I recall right. They had home field advantage against the Yankees in the first round of the playoffs. They won like 94, 96 games or something. And that was a bad defensive outfield. First year at target field. You did have Denard Spann in center, who was a good, above-average center fielder, but he wasn't the best center fielder in baseball. And your corner spots were Delman Young, Michael Kadire, and Jason Kubel kind of rotating around and sharing the DH spot with left field and right field. So you had two plodding guys with decent arms. Michael Gadiar had a great arm, but he wasn't ranging Mm -hmm. in 2010. And a guy in center field who wasn't going to make up for it nearly as much as Byron Buxton. This outfield, defensively, is going to be better, almost certainly, than the 2010 defensive outfield that was good enough with all the other components to win 95 or 96 games. So it's kind of back to what you were saying, which is there's different ways – to fill all of the spots on your team defensively Mm -hmm. and in that lineup. There's different ways. You know what? At first I thought if you kept Aaron Hicks, then you should go with the Kansas City Royals model. You have three center fielders roaming around. Eddie Rosario used to play center field too. And you make it work that way. And maybe you sacrifice a little offense. Well, now you're swapping out Aaron Hicks effectively for Miguel Sano, just at a different position. Although Hicks probably would have played right field. So you might literally be swapping out Aaron Hicks, who would have been a great defensive right fielder, Mm -hmm for Miguel Sano,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who will just be the opposite.
1: That brings up an interesting point, because the Twins basically could have chosen...
0: Now, the market trade markets
1: were probably different for each player, and this shows you the level of trust and also how much other organizations value these players. But the Twins basically chose between a scenario in which they had a Rosario Buxton Hicks outfield with Sano playing third base and Trevor Plouffe gone bye-bye, to the current scenario with... Trevor Plouffe playing third base and a Rosario Buxton Sano outfield with Hicks Mm -hmm. gone bye-bye. I mean, it's not that simple to put it in a vacuum, but effectively that that was a choice that the Twins made. And honestly, I don't know if I blame them for the decision that they made, especially if John Ryan Murphy turns out to be a starting caliber catcher. Now, if he's not, obviously you can nitpick that trade on its own and question its merits. But I think that if the choice was between going with this arrangement in the short term to keep Ploof's bat, to keep Parks' bat, to keep Mauer's bat and Sano's bat. I don't know. I can't really blame them for selling Hicks down the street to try and address the biggest weakness on their team last year.
0: Right. You know, I see a lot of projections. I've seen just stuff. Kind of. I haven't really dove into these yet, but I saw, dived in. Dived in. I actually don't know.
1: I always screw that one up. The past. I times. go back and forth on that. Mm-hmm. Just as yeah. long as as long as you. It's like sixteens in blackjack. Just play it on both sides, and eventually <laughs> it's going to be a wash. Sometimes I hit, sometimes I stand, it doesn't matter. And then sometimes the grammar police sends you an email correcting you. on. Which is fine, because the grammar police at least
0: are listening, and they well, care
1: enough to send that
0: note. Well, it's like I, w- I made the joke on, we had Andrew Kramer on our radio show, and he was in to talk Vikings. Well, the news came down about Nolasco and Duffy, and mm-hmm. Andrew knows nothing about baseball. So I tried to explain to him, here's a football analogy. It's like if Mike Wallace, highly paid, washed-up veteran, were competing with, let's say, Stefan Diggs. Mm-hmm. Not a top draft pick, but a guy who kind of came on strong and you really like his upside. And they were competing for one wide receiver spot. I said, now imagine if Mike Wallace had a prove-it preseason game against Bethel College yeah. <laughs> and didn't perform well and drop three passes, which is what Nalasco did against Fredrickson, Class A Fredrickson. And, of course, immediately someone tweets, um, it's Bethel University. I think. Thanks, dude. That's fine. It, it doesn't ruin the great punchline. Okay. And also, here's the thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to disrespect Bethel University. Yeah. I apologize to that's all my funny. former roommates, too, from uh, the U of M who commuted to Bethel after that's, they were done.
1: That's really funny. Uh, yeah. the it, And that, that dovetails into a conversation about how we take things so seriously. We talked about that last week, right, about we take ourselves so seriously in this society. I feel like specifically on Twitter, they're like, there are – there's this idea that if something's um, – I'm trying to trying to phrase this as best as I can off the top of my head. If something's not perfect, it's not worth it. Like if you make a comparison like that, which by the way, I didn't hear this segment, but hats off to you. You like that, right? That was That's a good exactly
0: one. what happened. It's a good
1: one-liner. That is exactly what happened and it is a perfect way to put it in a football context because it's like – it's a Trojan horse – the only way we can talk about baseball in this country to the greater public is by slipping it in inside a football analogy. Yeah. Okay, so it would be like if this football thing
0: happened yeah. over here. Right. Yeah. So imagine if in the NFL. Exactly. Yeah. And then people are like, whoa, NFL? <laughs>
1: Turn up your radio dial. I'm listening. Um, that's and, and, so true. But, but that's the idea that, uh, okay, well, your analogy doesn't hold because it's Bethel University, which, okay, All due respect to Bethel, I'm not trying to crap on it either, but that to me is focusing on such a small semantical part of your comparison, your argument, that doesn't invalidate the comparison. It just means you got the name of the college or university
0: wrong. There's a lot of – I don't know if it goes hand-in-hand with the social media era here the last 10 years or if it's just magnified by the social media era, but – The gotcha mentality of our society Mm -hmm. is at an all-time high right now. Yeah. And maybe there was always that. Maybe people read newspaper articles 20 years ago and thought, ooh, spelling error. Or, ooh, gotcha on this factual error. But there's just nowhere for them to bitch about it. They can write a letter to the editor, and then the editor gets to
1: choose if he or she publishes (laughs) that complaint. How cool would that be if someone sent you a tweet or sent me a tweet on something that I said that was factually incorrect – and Factually incorrect. I understand. Like you should get your facts right. In our business, most people don't pay enough attention to that. But if your opinion just disagrees with someone, and they sent you a tweet, and you got to choose whether that gets broadcast to the rest of the world or not, that would be like the old-time newspapers' uh, setup, where they get to choose whether or not they publish letters well, to the editor. We
0: love to talk in absolutes now, too. There's so many in baseball. Baseball and hockey are very much sports that take a long time to play out. Hmm. Anything can happen in a one-game situation, and so it's really hard to talk in absolutes, which is why, since we're complaining about social media and different things, oh, to I don't, I don't right,
1: think we're complaining. I just think we're pointing out realities. Well, let me throw another
0: one at you. This notion that, for instance, the Twins would be much, because Plouffe has played outfield before and Miguel Sano hasn't, the Twins would be better off with Miguel Sano at third base and Trevor Plouffe in right field. How do you know? I mean, I, it's a guess. there's a reason why Trevor Plouffe no longer plays outfield. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He wasn't that good at it. He doesn't have a strong as uh, strong, arm uh, as Miguel
1: Sano does. You so. might be creating two weaknesses if Sano's not actually good at third base. The Twins are will, happy right. and willing to tell you that Miguel Sano was a capable and uh, even strong defender at third base. I'm skeptical. Let's wait and see. Eventually he might play third base someday in the future, and we'll be able to more fairly judge that. But for now the people that suggest that are basically taking the Twins' word that Sano would be a good defender. I think it's totally possible that you'd lose Plouffe's defensive value, so you're taking away one of those 17-18 positions I was talking about, by moving him to right field, and then you're also downgrading right field defense. It's entirely possible.
0: So we, this just kind of occurred to me a half hour into the podcast, this is our final episode before the season starts, because we usually record these on Tuesdays. The season will have started That's true. by the time we record another episode. So... uh, I think we did the the pin down a win total thing last year. Or maybe we might have recorded our first episode after the first game, so mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong on that. If we did it, we did it on the radio. Well, and they lost their first game, so
1: that deflated my win projection totals. I mean, you gotta you got to factor that in in a That's long true. scope of things.
0: Well, I had them on 87 wins, but I right. lost today – I'm gonna go 84 wins. So knowing how you and I hate trying to pin a 162 game season on one win total because it's ridiculous. There's I like I like the range of wins better than a win total. So let's let's go out on as much of a limb as we want to here and put the Twins on a range of possible victory hmm. totals. Well, you know me and
1: limbs. I'm more than happy to stand on the ground next to the tree trunk. Right.
0: I, I definitely but... know this to be true. <laughs> But on top of that, so I know you're not going to go on that limb, Mm -hmm. give us, and I'll do the same thing, the best, just in general, the best and worst case scenarios, more so on the best case side. How far is this team capable of going in 2016 if things break right? You go first.
1: So they won 83 games last year, and everyone celebrated that as some wild achievement, some great victory to be had. And you know what?
0: Relative to what we had known the previous five years.
1: Given from where they came, I agree with that. Improving by 13 wins was impressive. Still, 83 wins does not mean you were a good baseball team. It means you played baseball. You're a 500-baseball team, effectively, and you got some lucky... Or random. I shouldn't call it lucky because that implies like always good luck. There was good luck. There was bad luck over the course of a 162 game season. You wound up as being within spitting distance of 500. Yeah. Even if they had won 79 games last year, I said like, hey, look, they took a step forward. You know, 79 and 83. Good. I would feel the same about that season than I did about 83 and 79. And if you want to get real stat geeky on it, they actually outperformed their Pythagorean win expectation by, I I want to say it was like two or three wins.
0: And think about it this way. Let's say you you got an 83-win team over here and a 79-win team over there. I'll even take it a step further. you got an 85-win team over here, which is right next to being a wildcard team, Yeah. and a 79-win team over here. If you watched every single game of both of those teams for six months and you didn't keep track of their record and at the end of six months you had to make a guess... Which team was better than the other one? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Substantially similar. One win per month, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference.
1: Substantially similar. And so with that as a backdrop, I would say, to answer your first question first, how far could they go? I mean, this is a team that has the makings of a very good baseball team. It has the, it has good bones, as they say. I think there are some flaws that you can pick at around the roster. I think there are some deficiencies that are going to hurt them, specifically if they make it to the postseason. The fact that their best starter is Irvin Santana, um, that's not exactly on par with the rest of the American League. With that being said, baseball is random. Anything can happen in a five, seven-game series. I wouldn't be surprised if this team was playing in the American League Championship Series. With that being said,
0: look at you right now.
1: I also wouldn't be surprised if they missed the postseason entirely. That that wouldn't surprise me even a little bit. So a win range. I'm going to say that this team bottoms out as a seventy-six win team and maxes out at an eighty nine win team, I think. I'd be very surprised if this team won ninety games, barring some sort of like um, here's the one thing I will say about that. The, cha- the team could change on July 31st. This team could put itself in a great position and go get, you know, to use a Royals example, Ben Zobrist and Johnny Cueto, and then suddenly you could be looking at a low 90s win Twins team. But the current roster, the way it's assembled, I don't see it winning 90 games. That could still be enough for a wild card. Heck, it could be enough to win the American League Central. I don't think so, but it's possible. So I guess circular, circling back to... Uh, what you're asking for a range, give me 73 to 89, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in that range.
0: All right, so I laugh at you, but here's my answer. I've come around to. I, ordinarily, I would pin it down. No, it's going to be, it's going to be this exact win total. But mm-hmm. I just think that's such a. There's so many things, especially with this team, that could happen. The pitching staff is full of guys in the top three, anyways. Who? Well, I'll just go with Irvin Santana and Phil Hughes, who could. It, those are two Jekyll and Hyde starting pitchers. If they both click at the same time, you've got two guys who can carry a rotation, and all of a sudden, maybe now you have a top ten rotation. They could both soil themselves, just like they have a few times in their careers. Figuratively speaking, right? No, I mean literally they, soil themselves in be, front of 40,000 people. And That would be weird. Yeah, it would be embarrassing. And, well. and they likely wouldn't finish the start, which would... <laughs> Really deplete the bullpen, too, yeah. if that happened. <laughs> You'd really need a long reliever in that case. So I, I'm going through Byron Buxton has such a wide range of what he could give you. He could give you zero wins above replacement. He could give you eight wins above replacement if he clicked, like, the five-tool yeah. player that we think he might be. At
1: I'd be surprised if he's eight this well, year. Well, I would, but, too. I'm right, just saying. Right,
0: but his But his ability to carry a franchise could start as soon as age 22. Correct. It could start just like Mike Trouts did, or just like Bryce Harper. I agree with that. So with, with all of this uh, being said, I'm with you. It wouldn't shock me if it was mid-70s. I think if this team went 75 and, would it be 75 and 87, I guess, I would say that's really disappointing. But, well, Phil Hughes must not have pitched well, and Byron Buxton still can't figure out how to hit breaking balls or lay off of them. Mm-hmm. It also wouldn't surprise me if they won something like 92 games. So I'm I'm putting them on almost a 20 win range of what's possible this year. Weird. Nothing within that range would shock me. Weird. So I am coming around to the Derek Wetmore, Zen like way of analyzing baseball.
1: I think that I'm going to replay at the beginning of this podcast the fact that you laughed at me for picking such a wide win and that or a wide uh, range of possibilities. <laughs> and then, and pick then a wider range. Seconds later, <laughs> expanded that range
0: of possibilities. So here's where I will, I will one up you. And maybe push all of my chips in the middle here. Especially if this team is in contention sometime in June or July. They for the first time in franchise history might be in a spot with the right prospects with some money to spend and a winning team that you could add a good top of the rotation pitcher for the stretch run, or rent a pitcher of some kind. Sonny Gray? Sonny Gray would be not even just a rent a pitcher. He'd be a year and a half, I believe. You're I think right he's about got a that, year and a half left. So that would be someone if you want to give up a Jorge Polanco and a Cole Stewart to get a Sonny Gray, Ooh. by all means.
1: I think it'd take more than that. Yeah, if, if I'm Oakland, if you
0: could get that, if you could get Sonny Gray for that right now, I think you'd do it before the season. But yeah. They probably want to wait for a bidding war. It wouldn't surprise me if this team won the World Series. I think this team, if they add a piece, if they add a piece at the trade deadline, and Byron Buxton is clicking, and Miguel Sano is not injured and uh, isn't suffering from too much of a sophomore slump. Once you get to that sort of 88, 90, 92 win stage and and then you can add somebody like the Royals did in Johnny Cueto who was lights out in the postseason a couple times, I'm just saying, I also just said that it wouldn't shock me if they won 75 games. So right. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth firmly. But we have now officially entered playoff run slash World Series watch for the next few years. Yeah, Maybe even longer than that.
1: That's fair. I will say that as... Uh, I don't know, I like I like that you described it as zen, but I'm not convinced that it's actually zen fully, just to not be emotionally invested in a team um, and try to look at things objectively and analytically. But I would say that even though I think this has the bones of a good baseball team, like I've been saying, you know, basically all winter, and probably even into last year, I would be surprised if they won the World Series. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's obviously unlikely. And so... You know what? What percentage chance would you give them to win the World Series right now? I don't know what Vegas is saying, but like if I'm doing the math on 30 teams, I'd give the Twins like a four percent chance. Just yeah, pulling a number out of my less head, less than five sure. percent. And so to me, that's surprising. If one in 20 comes true, surprising. Uh, um, there are certainly teams that they're in in better position. That's why I think you know some people might hear, oh, there are 30 teams, and you're giving them a four percent chance. That's better than one in 20. Like, well, yeah, but. You look at the teams that just won't win the World Series. like The Milwaukee Brewers won't win the World Series. Like You can give them a certain percentage point, but it's not going to be more than a fraction of one percent. But the Twins
0: are no longer on the list that they were on for five years, which Mm -hmm. is they won't win the World Series. No shot.
1: Right. They Mm -hmm. they have a shot. They had a shot last year. Um, So you're telling me there's a chance. I am telling you there's a percentage chance. People always like to ask me, what's the percentage chance that X happens? And I always, almost always, without fail, will tell them, it's non-zero. There is a non-zero chance that the Twins win the World Series. I don't think it's all that likely, so I hate to pour water on the parade before it even gets planned or started, but uh, I see there are just too many things that are up in the air right now, specifically like the starting rotation. How good is that going to be this year? We'll wait and see. But uh, I I think the Twins did some good things with their this winter. I also think the Twins did some bad things that might hold them back. Um, and things would have to really break well
0: for them to even be playing in October. Yeah. Team MVP in your mind, Miguel Sano. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Even with defensive deficiencies, Here's and a dark be dragging horse, though. him down a little bit in the right field, he, it, if he's healthy, he's going to hit.
1: We've talked about this guy in the past. Here's a dark horse, Brian Dozier, as team MVP.
0: In fact, okay, I'll, as I'm making wacky, crazy, out on limb predictions, I may have made this a month ago, but I'm going I'm yeah, to double 75
1: down. to 92 wins. Somewhere in there. That's wacky Mackie for you. Could ya. either
0: finish well below 500 or win it all. <laughs> wacky Mackie yeah, exactly. strikes again. In fact, I should be a tarot card, I should be a palm reader. Okay. <laughs> so I'm sending. Sensing you have a family.
1: (laughs) I'm reading your palms here, and I think that one day you will either be extremely
0: wealthy or you might be hit by a bus walking out of this reading. So I'm sensing that you've had someone close to you, perhaps in your family, that's had cancer before. Right. Oh, you're really playing the percentages with that one, (laughs) Miss Chloe. I think there are three players on this team right now within a three- to five-year, let's call it a five-year window. That have the ability and play and or play the position necessary to win an MVP, an American League MVP. Sano and Buxton, Buxton's not there yet. Uh, Sano is getting close to that point if he hits like he did last year and whatever. He's he's in that window. Brian Dozier is the other one. I feel like I brought this up with you a while back. We talked this podcast, about it. If Brian Dozier just adds another layer to his game and he's in his prime, I still think there's some room for improvement there. And or doesn't completely disappear in the second half of the season. Yeah. He plays good defense at second base. He's always going to be among the league leaders in runs scored, as long as he's hitting at the top of an order with uh, guys like Sano behind him, Trevor Ploof behind him. The voters, some of this is me thinking in terms of what would the what would the voters it's say. It's like but,
1: Oscar nominations, but right? But voters
0: love guys who score a ton of runs and guys who have a chance to hit 30 bombs at a non-premium or at a at a non-premium offensive position, I should say. Sure. If Dustin Pedroia, like he's done before, puts up numbers comparable to a first baseman or a DH or somebody, it gets more attention because you offer value at second base. So,
1: I will be surprised on Dozier. In fact, if listeners want to hear that episode of the podcast, I think it was something about um, – You know, go to the Touch 'Em All page, wherever you subscribe to it, and if something like Brian Dozier holds the key for 2016 or something like that. We talked a lot about Brian Dozier, his new approach to hitting what Phil thinks is the potential ceiling, and the reasons that I'm skeptical is basically if I had to summarize our 45-minute episode in a nutshell, that's what I would say.
0: Um, So now you don't have to listen to it.
1: Right. Yeah, actually, just skip it. Yeah, don't worry about it. You know probably saved about 45 minutes of your time anyway sorry that you've now got to listen to classic 70s on your commute home <laughs> we don't have any more twins talk for you but the season is starting uh, so i want to take this opportunity to remind you if you're still listening to this podcast now you obviously care enough about the twins or couldn't find the pause button in either case i would recommend that you subscribe to the touch them all podcast on itunes it's a weekly twins conversation phil and i Sometimes argue, mostly agree. We analyze the Twins from a numbers perspective, but we're also reporters. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in the podcast that we bring on a weekly basis, and I don't like to ask for favors. I don't like pointing the finger at myself and saying, look at the work that I'm doing. But if you like this podcast, look at
0: the work that we're doing. Look at the work that we are doing. Subscribe
1: on iTunes. Give us a rating. If you can, Give us if you can stomach it. Give us a five-star review. It helps us reach more Twins fans. It helps people find this podcast. So that's my weekly recommendation. That's my weekly self-promotion. And I almost guarantee I'll be back at it next week when the season begins in earnest.
0: We should almost offer a deal that over the next week, we will give you a five-star rating on some platform that you want if you give us a five-star rating. I'm happy to trade that. If you screen grab the five-star
1: rating on iTunes for the Touch Mall podcast, I promise you I will give you five stars on www.twitter.com or as I've come to refer to it, www.echochamber.com.